Welcome to another episode of the Dentology Podcast, where we discuss the business of dentistry. In this podcast series, we'll be discussing all the non-clinical aspects of dentistry, from goodwill values, finance, marketing, how to buy and sell a dental practice mindset, through to where you can invest your money in team management issues. My name is Andy Acton, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris Trevens. Let's jump straight into it. No shortage of gems from Ben there. No, brilliant. It's uh, it lovely, isn't it? I mean... Uh, fascinating interest there's this social justice thing that runs through everything mm. he does really you know, even down to his honey yeah it's a, it, we hear the phrase a lot don't we you know people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care and i think that almost kind of typifies ben and what he's mm. about and the things he's done and you know caring is deeply important but also how he used dyslexia to his advantage and that really impacted how he communicates and that yeah. nuance and without doubt that has contributed to his success massively i think so and i think that as he says you know the the the, the biggest skill you can ever learn is communication mm. you know uh, communication whether whether it be patients whether it be family whether it be with friends you know uh, wives husbands you know quite often they say don't they a lot of marital issues can be solved if people learn how to talk about them and stuff like that it's fascinating yeah. really yeah and the success the business success he had in a in a relatively short period of mm. time you know he kind of we didn't have long to, to dig into the detail but he's he skiffled through what he achieved um, quite remarkable and doing things that other people didn't want to do I think that's the interesting thing isn't it you know the, yeah. the, the people with those contracts that they were offered but no one went for them but mm. he went for them because he saw he could do something and deliver them and a really interesting outlook on how NHS dentistry can be delivered and, and pointed in the direction of the most needy in society a yeah. really really interesting that's it. it was chat. brilliant really really, really, really good. good conversation so we are here again. We, we are, are yet so, again. So another episode. It is. It is. Dun, 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 dun. Today we are delighted to be joined by Dr. Ben Atkins, and Ben is a dentist, um, a ex-multiple practice owner, oh. a nice clinical advisor, yeah. and also a beekeeper, which we'll come on to at some yeah. point. Morning, Ben. How are you doing? Morning, guys. Hi, Andy. Chris, how's, how's it down there in the sunny smoke? Ah, lovely. Not so smart sunny at the moment, I must admit, uh, but not raining, so that's good. Yeah, yeah, we've had some proper autumnal weather recently, haven't we, with the rain and the wind and everything else. It's been, it's been quite bizarre, really. So it's a time to go and watch football matches. Yes. I always said to my son, I said to my son, if you go and watch a football match in the rain, it makes you feel like you're a proper fan. And you've actually done some exercise, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true, that is true, that's true. <laughs> yeah. So to kick off, Ben, you, you say tongue-in-cheek that you're a stay-at-home dad with a, a, a glancing yeah. interest in dentistry, and clearly things yeah. have changed a lot over the last generation. Going back to, to your youth before we start, what were the things, what were your teenage years like? What were the things that shaped you as, as, into the person you are today? There's two or three different stories which... I often go revert back to is when you go to high school, um, my kids are lucky enough to go to a very nice private school. I was state school born and bred. Um, and I've got a very big affinity to that non-entrance exam stuff. Um, and we went into the high school and you're, you're set it for two things. If you can read or the set that I went into, you can't read properly. Mm. And there was six of us in this set of the, um, we could call ourselves the REMS because we were, and um, we we couldn't read properly. And it, it, it was that, I suppose, that which actually <laughs> was a bit of a difficulty since my mum's an English teacher. Ah, but um, okay. but no, I, I was, I'm, I'm dyslexic. Right. Oh. So 
Um, and I think it's, so that was a, a big learning factor about myself, about that challenge is that every lesson was mm. a challenge. And it was about, I think one of those early learning things, you, you, you challenge yourself. Mm. It's not about everybody else. I see that with the work you guys do. Mm. It's, it's about enjoying the journey. Mm. It's about what you get out of it. Cause I mean, besides being an Arsenal fan, it's, um, Just saying. <laughs> it, it, it's, it, absolutely it, it's it's important to believe in who you oh, are completely, completely. did you did you find that, out quite young that you were dyslexic ben? because i'm just thinking lots of people uh, never fully can i throw another one on top of that was it were you at school at the time they regarded you as dyslexic or just a bit thick no no thick afterwards um i could see numbers mm. numbers flew they were dead easy um but i also took that as I, i've learned I was just thick. I was thick until after university as well, you know, so I, I didn't even have that wow. thing to hide behind at university. Um, is It's that journey of challenge. Mm -hmm. And I think you'll find some very, some real blue sky thinking businessmen. There are lots of names that we all know who are dyslexic, but they went through those challenges. And I think that built me as a person. Mm -hmm because you, you respect everybody else a little bit more. Mm. I did anyway, because I, I wasn't competed against. I didn't need to be. Mm. Um, and the others, so I really enjoyed sciences at school because it wasn't reading. It was tech, mm. technical stuff. Uh -huh. So I think that's that played to my strengths. Um, and maths as well. I wasn't in the top sets, but I could see how to use numbers. Mm. Um, and I think, well, my, my father's a bank manager. Um, and with your guys, background that's why i find your world so interesting um with numbers and stuff it basically every single discussion in dentistry and business i've got a housing business i've got a car business um boils back to do the bottom line work mm. no, no matter what no matter how much ethics you've got no how much whatever it is it's got that bottom line's got to work otherwise you're just doing a charitable thing mm. Um, and we can all do charity and we have to do charity. That's really, really important yeah. to give back to society. But I like to choose my mm. charity, get charitable mm. ask. Um, and for me, it's, it's not the NHS, you know, it's, yeah. it, it, it's, it's, it's the NHS needs to support yep. business wise as well. And it actually needs to be a value. It's a need to be a value ask for the government. Mm. Um, so then my journey going back to childhood, I, the big turning point for me when I look back at what happened, my insecurities come from when I was about 12 or 13. Bear with me on this story. No, no, it's um, interesting. We're, we're, the thing is, it we're on a boat. The thing is, I think this stuff is is, is critical because when we come on to the success you had, it's understanding, that, isn't that it? That start point kind of gives people mm. real insight as mm. to what were those those triggers and those important elements. Yeah, definitely. Happened. I think definitely. our teenage years are so important. Yeah. I. There are some big factors. Your parents... I can't, I can't swear on this thing, but they mess you up and you mess your parents up because that's who we are. And actually that taking that capacity. So I learned from a, a young age that I need my whole business aim journey was to create capacity to be there for my kids. Mm. If I was going to, if I was going to have them, mm. um, I need, I needed time. Time's everything for what we do with everything in life. The more time money's inconsequential. If you've got time, then you, you're a rich person. But so we were on this boat going out to, um, Across to, I think it was to Helsinki um, from Stockholm. And Sweden was exactly how it was when we were kids. You know, it was a church trip and it was, um, we were living with a, a Swedish family and 
It was, it was an amazing experience. Um, but Swedish swimming was quite expensive back then, you know? It's, still is. Still, it's still, still is. Still yeah. Yeah, but there's a reason why it's expensive because they don't have massive um, mortgages because they all live in state funded. So if we took all our money out of our mortgage and that disappeared, we'd all be wealthy here. So it gives you that you've got more spendable cash. And I think that's interesting. But we're on this boat and I had my pocket money and there was a, I'd seen a box of chocolates I wanted to buy my mum. I'm very sweet, nice, nice person. And I put this crown, this five crown a piece in and I, I hit the jackpot. You know, but as an 11, 12 year old kid, we're not from an affluent background. My dad said I'd won about a thousand pounds in the 70s. Wow. You know, it was a huge, and, I, and the older boys who I was with said, oh, you might win it again if you put it back in. Oh. And I put every single penny uh, back in. No. Every single penny went in. I was in, in tears. All I wanted was this box of chocolates. Uh, I did, I'd bought enough, I'd won enough. Buy all the boxes of chocolate. You know, it was, yeah, it, was a, it was a huge amount of money because it was a, a sailboat jackpot. I probably shouldn't have been playing on it because I was like 12, it was 18 plus. Or <laughs> what year was, what was, year was this, Ben? So I was born 75, so I'd be 12, so about 87, something like that, 85, 86. Yeah. You know, so if you compared back to a house in the UK in 80s, it was 50 grand. A thousand pounds was ridiculous yeah, huge money. Amount of for, money. Wow. Yeah. And I put every single penny back in. So forever, that has affected me. I need control. That, it, it, it's control. I need to control the odds. Sounds daft, yeah. but that that's my business practice all the way through my career. It was a, it was a defining moment. I can reflect back mm, that it happened. I mean, you guys must have had a, a similar why you went and did business. Why? What was yours? Chris, what was your... There must have been one moment that you went back and I thought, think ours oh. was... Uh... We worked our um, our socks off, I think. So I worked in a, a bank and a predominantly started a healthcare business. And then after a while, they moved me into head office to do all professions. And then Andy came um, sort of half halfway through my tenure, maybe. I don't yeah. know. And we just happened to be sitting in a meeting where uh, our managers were telling us this stuff they wanted. And we, we came out of the meeting and went, oh, I think there's there's something in here. So so we then basically, I don't know, 18 hours a day, sorting out this massive great scheme for the bank, you know, huge stuff, not out, stuff outside of our control. You know, it yeah. wasn't just writing a credit. That was the easiest thing to get the credit line approved. Then we had to work mm. out how to deliver this thing. So Andy and yeah. I were, you know, we'd sit in countless meetings with insurers and operational people you know learned stuff that we'd never dealt with we got it off the ground and it made the bank millions really truly millions yeah. of pounds and then uh, and then they said to us yeah thanks yeah, we got we got we got a thanks for that that's, that's really good of you thank you thank a good you. job and our boss said i got a bonus <laughs> and we went uh did we get a bonus yeah no 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 yeah. but thanks very much and that uh, for me mm. I mean, and our kids. I think that was the other thing because we were working stupid hours. It's funny what you say, Ben, about you know the, the wealthy man has time. And when we decided to buy the business, we said if we could maintain our earnings but have more yeah. time, that would be the biggest gift we'd ever receive. And for the first yeah. few years, um, okay, we were still working as hard, but we could see a pathway where we'd have more time. Because I think you're right. I yeah. think there's always opportunity to earn more money mm. because we could all work on Sunday in, in, a, in, a, in Audi or Morrison's if, if it was that yeah. important. It's not. 
And I think for us, if we could create more time, because back then we both had young families, that would be the greatest thing ever. And we achieved that. Mm. And you know, that I think and having that kind of anchor, that root that says yeah. what's really important is is the thing that gives you that kind of purpose beyond just doing your day job. So yeah, it wasn't definitely. it wasn't massively dissimilar to you. Um no. I think time is is Yeah, we know, just looked at it and we just said, you know, I, I remember my I've got three children, so I'm one behind Andy, but my middle daughter, my youngest daughter, said to my wife at one time, because working in a bank, it, we, we worked really hard and she said to my wife, yeah. she said, Who's my daddy? Because I don't get to and it's like, you might as well just stab yeah. me. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know, the only time I saw her was at the weekend, and that that along with the fact of we were unhappy that <laughs> we hadn't yeah. received any recognition for our financial recognition, those were the two yeah. catalysts. And we just said, "Well, tell you what, <laughs> why did we uh, yeah. buy a business?" <laughs> and and I, it, I really. think in reality, I think everybody learns this. It's just when you learn it, and I think yes, if you, the earlier you mm. learn it, the longer it gives you the opportunity to, to How make old use you? of it. So I was 28. When we bought the business, I was 28, 29. Um, yeah. I had, um, so my eldest lad would have been six. So I had a six-year-old, a mm-hmm. three-year-old, and my wife was then pregnant with twins. So it was a very young family, but you make it work um, because you do. Mm. I, th- I think you were far braver than me doing that when you got a family. I did it when I was a 24-year-old idiot. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, there's nothing else I've so that how old are you now as an idiot? I'm, 40, I'm 42 at <laughs> the year old. We're back to that nut. No. I'm, I'm, I'm 47, but, you know, I, I keep saying I'm 42 because that's when the business went. But I, I feel that I'm in awe of people who take that risk whilst they've got children mm. because you're not just risking you, are you? It's so it's almost, it's almost, it's, from one side, it's almost, so easy to say, I've got kids, I'm not doing it. Yeah. It, well, can, I, I can't I, I, put. I agree up to a point, but I think there's also a train of thought that says by doing nothing, you risk everything. Oh, absolutely. The, the, but he, whilst from the outside looking in, it, it looks risky. We did, we, yeah. we were able to manage the downside. I think it was, uh, yeah. I think we always say, don't we, that sometimes being naive in business is actually not a bad oh, idea. A and, you know, oh, we, we, we took out a loan, didn't we, you know, yeah. a good few hundred thousand pounds. And uh, yeah. friends would say, are you mad? And we went, ah, it's going to be fine. <laughs> it'll, be, yeah. it'll be fine. Our wives were, yeah, off you go, off you go. And then, can you remember, I, I remember we, we completed in October and then December we didn't have any money. Yeah. And we were like, oh, <laughs> this has suddenly come really quickly. And then we got over that hump. Mm. But I think we went into it with great confidence, <laughs> just not thinking it was going to go wrong. It was, yeah. it, you know, but naivety, I think, comes there. Yeah. Amazing. So why did, you, why did you choose dentistry? Because you said you looked around at the medical profession before mm. choosing dentistry. Yeah. What was it that finally drew you to the world of teeth? As a... I, I see my son at the moment. He's, he's into whittling, you know, a pencil knife. And right. Oh, right. That's, okay. It's his um, go-to. I'm going to go and relax, Dad. He's out there making us a doorstop. Wow. wow. Doorstop. Um, and it's like, you'll, you'll, where, where's, 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 where's Graydon? And Magenta goes, um, my, daughter, my daughter's called Magenta. And she goes, oh, he's, 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 why do you think he has that? He's whittling. And it makes me laugh because that's exactly what I did at that age. I would disappear and I'd be like, mental health. It would, I didn't realize mental health yeah. would just, I like whittling. So just that great sense of going on a, a, a walk, bringing sticks back and whittling. whittling oh, wow. Have you but, still got some of them, Ben? 
No, I'm, I'm not, they're not glad of anything in my house. None, none of this stuff around me is mine. <laughs> you know, I mean, you look at like my son's, um, son's little bit of artwork, a bit, a bit of wickling oh, wow. there. It's, oh, that's very cool. Have you got like one but, of those men's sheds that you disappear down to for a whittle? Yeah, that got burned down at the beginning of the summer, so I don't even have one <laughs> of those down. Anymore. <laughs> yeah, I still think my wife's trying to get more space in the garden. <laughs> please tell me that wasn't as a result. It got burned down, darling. <laughs> ben, 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 please tell me that wasn't as a result of aggressive whittling. Aggressive <laughs> 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 whittling, yeah. Yeah, created some. <laughs> <laughs> You can't talk about that. Not in public. <laughs> it's not That's not a phrase you're no, is it? Aggressive no. whittling. <laughs> you'll, you'll be using it later on in the meeting, yeah. though. You know, aggressively whittle down is practice price. <laughs> <what you say. laughs> yeah, no. We um. So I A levels came. I, I knew it was going to be science. It was only uh, science, math, chemistry, and um, biology. Um, and then my dad, lucky enough, he dealt with majority of the, he's a senior account exec from NatWest, so he dealt with take that's bank accounts and the football players, but he also dealt with a lot of the big high powered medics of the time. So I went, I was looking at, so my dad said, look, what do you want to do? I'll, I'll get you some work experience. And when work experience came around, I went to stand in the guy who did the first cochlear implant in Manchester and sat and watched him do wow. that three times in the surgery he found it hilarious that his bank manager's son was fainting in the surgery he kept bringing me back in and i keeled back over again so i thought that one might not be for me he took he, he opened this guy's face up um it removed all the bone max fax uh, oh. the maxilla and was replumbing a muscle from the back into the face wow, and that was the first time i'd seen anything like gore or anything and so i went around there and i went to a physio and i went to all that stuff. And then I went to watch a dentist and thought, hold on, you all you do really is do what I do. I'm a social butterfly. I'm like you guys, 10 minute conversations. I can't think much more than that. It's the, uh, all the, um, ins ins you know, insincerity pours out after 10 minutes and that sort of stuff. So, <laughs> but, so I, 10 minutes in, I sat there and thought, hold on, he does a 10 minute cycle here and, and he's whittling. I remember, remember in my head, and he's whittling for a living. <laughs> you know, he's I, I whittling teeth. <laughs> Yes, he's whittling. And he got and I got to have a play around with this sort of stuff and have a go. And I went to an orthodontist and thought, so I don't want to be a wirebender. Um because they frightened me. They still frighten me, wirebenders. But I did know that and so I thought dentistry. I thought I'd have a go. And the rest is sort of history really. Wow. Uh, and it yeah, was a so. it was a, a profession that's that served you well. But uh, I think something that's interesting you said at the very beginning. You're you're big on patient communication and behaviour change, and obviously, mm. I mean that that flows through to the work you do with the Oral Health Foundation. But going back to the beginning, where you were saying you were or you are dyslexic, obviously writing and, and reading was challenging. Mm. But you're you're an outstanding communicator orally. Did you mm. work out that that was going to be kind of almost one of your superpowers? That I have to be really good at communicating with people in the way that suits me as a person as opposed to in a traditional mm, sense by, yeah, by yeah. writing because you, you are a great communicator was, was that a conscious decision to develop your, yeah. your skills in that way yeah I, I was very lucky because if i give i do a lot of mentoring and stuff as well um and every one of my mentees even one of my students from manchester university come back to me and say, what should what should i do what should i do i said look you've got to network you've got to ignore what everybody else is doing in their little silos 
our profession is very opinionated. Well, you might have guessed our profession is very opinionated <laughs> um, about themselves. But actually, if you listen to other people and you realize the biggest thing is comms in every industry, mm. it's not just dentistry. But you, you, you can, in fact, I actually ignore dentistry most of the time because I'll look at other industries, I'll look at hairdressing, which is our industry just on a different mm. level. You know, they, they even do the same partnership agreements and that sort of stuff. It's, 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 it's exactly the mm. same. Um, and it's that comms. I, I look back to success stories and it's nine times out of 10 is who's rebranded so the, the customer understands what they're doing. And for me, that if you look at Apple, you look at anybody else, it's about actually it makes it intuitive. It's the easy way to buy it, mm -hmm. or easier to work with it. it. It's 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 actually difficult not to purchase. When, but actually, comms is everything. It's, it's everything in dentistry. It's learning about your body position, learning about sitting in front of the patient, learning about making sure they feel dominant in the surgery. So your head is below their head when you're talking to them. You're in front of them when you're talking. It's all the sales techniques you guys do. Mm -hmm. I'm, Great, great respect. I'll probably ruin your market now, but <laughs> you—it's it, that learning how to. My 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 best friends is my PT. So we we were chatting. He's absolutely. We were chatting eight o'clock at night. He said, "Ben, a, how's the, What's the fastest way to become a millionaire?" We're laughing about this sort of stuff, and I said, well, "Don't spend it," because you know. <laughs> But it is, isn't it? It is. If you want to, if you want to get out, put that money to work for you. I mean, with your investment arm, if you suddenly get a passive investment every year, put twenty percent away, then that money will compound and be the biggest investment you've had. The dental practices weren't mine when it sold. It was the buying houses and making sure that was working mm. for me and getting a boring ten percent return on every single house I've got. You know, mm. it's that boring journey. But for me, that comms thing is if you can actually say to a patient what do you want mm. and they tell you and then you give it to mm. them it's not difficult but if you're spouting and constantly just talking what uh, quite frankly the majority of my profession does that we don't listen um that behavioral change is is so powerful and you enjoy your job mm. because and it's that short term and so luckily enough i i went and was involved in the, um, the bda um very early on in my career and i was lucky enough to get onto the rep body. I was a rep body, 25, 26. Um, so that's the board of the VDA. And I was a spokesperson. My first radio interview was when I was 24. I was on You and Yours, on BBC You and Yours. I was 24. Wow, wow. And I, that was the, my, my first ever interview. Not been on anything else. I got phoned up by Carmel from the BDA. And Carmel said, um, I mean, could I just, can you just do that? I'm going to Manchester. Okay, I tottled off into Oxford Road on the front there. Got in one of these booths and just suddenly went, Oh my God, no one's told me. I, I've never done anything like that. I've never done anything. But it, my mum goes, it comes out, oh, who was it? I said, you and yours, she need to drop the phone. You know, it's a proper political program yeah. about them. Little old idiot. But then I did some media training. And if I can get any dentist, and don't do a dental one. Don't do how to communicate as a dentist. No, no, no. Go and just learn to talk. Mm. You know, go on a, actually, I want to be on telly and learn your three points. Mm. Learn how to you're sitting forward, your body position and stuff. And I mean, obviously I've judged you guys, you guys guys do that because you, this is your professional thing. I'm relaxed. It's not a problem for me, mm -hmm. but it's, um, but it's funny it, you it's say it because it, as you say it, it, it all just sounds so obvious and natural. Uh, yeah. Why isn't everybody doing it? But it is layers of nuance, isn't it? Because we can all yeah. communicate, but some people are just more believable than others. Other people, you genuinely believe they care 
other people. Yeah. It feels dispassionate. It feels like they're selling to yeah, you. Yeah, false, doesn't it? I was yeah. going to say yeah. the difference between it being it done well <clears throat> and not done well is incredibly subtle. But understanding yeah. those subtleties and, and mastering that as an art puts you on the, the path of success. And I don't mean financial success selling stuff. I just mean getting on with people and having a more fulfilling life and good interactions. Mm. I think you're absolutely right there, Andy. It's the secret, and I'll tell you the secret, it's actually caring. Mm. Actually care yeah. for your patients. Actually yeah. go that extra mile. And think actually every day, can go, can you who, who choose one? Go an extra mile, give them a bell. Mm. Make sure they're okay. And the smile you get when you go home. I remember one patient who came into my VT surgery, and I had the poxy little box, you know, a box where you could walk sideways down the chair either side <laughs> get in. And the, and the implant guy next door. It's big, relation. massive, yeah. <laughs> next door and um, I I had a great PT brilliant guy but I used to remember this patient this old this old dude walked up all the stairs she's out of breath she you could see there was something else wrong so she sat and I said pin on the front sat and chat with her what's wrong and um, she said my cat's died and literally her cat had died that morning she said I thought I better still come out and I just said to my, my nurse leaned into my ear and said, should I go and get her a piece of cake? So we had a piece of cake in surgery and rebooked the appointment. And I learned so much from my dental nurse by saying, Ben, mm. reel it back mm. in again. Because you go, oh my God, you're not going to get your denture yeah, finished today. Yeah. The woman's cat's just died. He's the only person she sees every single day. And it was phenomenal. And this old dear just went, oh, I can't believe you've taken time. I said, no, no, it was Julie, my nurse. She told me I should. Yeah. You know, and... And she laughed even more because of that. Mm. It was actually, I learned from people. And I think if you've got that, t- it comes back to time. But also, I think truly caring, you know, we all get, you know, we send mm. messages to people, we hear from people, we check in with people. I think if you care, you just care. And I think you care yeah. about mm. your patients, you care about the people you work with, your family. You just you just care. And that's that's quite a hard thing to turn yeah. on and off. And mm. like I say, there's that old chestnut, isn't there? People say they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Mm. And it's, it's that thing. The, the things you know are really useful. If people don't feel you're invested in it's them... It's like we, we tell our guys to be interested. We said, you mm. know, that I think the, the genuine difference that, that we can make to our guys is that, yeah, okay, we might value hundreds of practices a year and we might do all this, but actually each one for that one person yeah. is really, really special. And the buyer mm. is really, really special. And I think that we, we, we tell you to our team, don't we? You know, you, you've got to remember that for that person, that's the most important thing. So be interested and be prepared when they get a little bit wobbly about something or whatever it might be, because actually it's just real life. It's, it's actual people's emotions. You know, yeah, it's a business, but actually it's an emotional thing that they're doing, whether they're buying or selling. So we have to understand that and care about them. So, so- I um, bought my first practice from you guys. and just thought I'd tell you that. But your your team made such a difference to my journey because I've never done that before. No, it's new, isn't it's, it? It's, it's me, squeaky bum time as a 20, well, 24 year old lad by my, my first practice. And I bought my practice and you guide your your team guided me through the whole journey. They must have thought I was an absolute fool. But <laughs> I didn't know anything. I, I, I was absolutely energy, right. Most people only ever buy one practice in their life. I mean, yeah. you're, you're an exception, yeah. and we'll come yeah. on to your, your kind of business career in a second, but most people only ever buy one practice. Oh. And you're mm. right. You know, people keep apologising for the basic questions they're asking, but it's, it's fine because mm. if you don't know the answer, it's a valid question. 
So mm, you're yeah. you're you're in the majority because most people don't go on to either buy or set up multiple practices like you did. Most people buy one practice and and, and that's that's their career. So mm. on on that point, you obviously had a, an incredibly successful you know business career in dentistry, and your your career carries on. But just talk us through kind of that that process from being an associate to kind of ending up with a group of practices and selling. Can you kind of distill that down yeah, into a well, few sort of, minutes? For us? It'd be interesting like? to go from when when yeah. was number one. Well, obviously it's about twenty four by something. But then when when was number tw- when number two? <laughs> Yeah, and then we couldn't do this, it might take a while. But, <laughs> We've got a while, so it's cool. <laughs> yeah, my first practice, I was working in a practice in Exton in, uh, in the northwest of England. And my boss came to me and said, oh, said Look, do you fancy buying in? Um, and I looked then, I thought, Hold on, I've not even thought about doing this. It, it might, I might do it for a few years and see what happens because. It, I'll give it a go, which is generally the way I go things in life. You try to, you try everything once, don't you? Mm-hmm. But I, I then looked around all the practices and thought, you know what? I think I looked around about 200 practices, went ran over to Leeds, looked everywhere. I knew I was going to be in the northwest of England. I didn't really want to go to Manchester, to be perfectly honest, um, because I've come from Sheffield, and Sheffield is it's a, it's a town, um, whereas Manchester is this massive metropolis. And I thought, I'm never going to live in Manchester. They're all a bit... They're all a bit angry, you know, um, and aggressive. And whereas Sheffield was so, so, so friendly, you know. But I think that was because I was a, a child growing up, mm. sort of grew up there from 18 to 23. Um, but so I looked around all these practices and thought I walked into the one in Monton and I thought, I'm not going to, I'm not going to flat myself. So I'm not, I haven't had that big risk. Right, yeah. Do you know, I've, I had no risk. There was no yeah, mortgage. Yeah, yeah. There was nothing else. I was probably the richest I've ever been. And I probably the richest I've ever been since, actually, as a VT, because I had no expenses. And I just had, what, 20 grand to spend on pop and crisps. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And then everything else kicks in. It goes to 40 grand. It's still 10 grand. You know, mm. not ever quite get back to that stage. And there was a single person. And you can suddenly start to learn how money works. Mm. You can earn 300 grand, but still be absolutely poor if you spent it all yeah. on fancy cars and you can be absolutely skinned. Um, so I look, walked into this practice in Monton and uh, it was, it felt right. You walked in, it was that, this is mine. I'm having this one because it was a Victorian five bedroom property in Monton. Um, if you don't know Manchester, it's in sunny Salford. It's the nicer, nicer area of Salford, social economically, but the whole high street was boarded up. You know, it was that period of um, late nineties um and th- there was a gun culture you know down in certain areas one of pra- one of friends practice has been held up at gunpoint so it was a bit sort of oh, but i wanted to move to manchester because i was living with one of my friends in manchester as well and i thought this place has got a flat above it right. it's got space to move on the whole building includes 40 grand for a five bedroom det- semi-detached victorian property which <laughs> now if you go there now you're talking half a million wow. quid. you know it's one of yeah, those yeah. journeys we've just developed. got yeah, yeah. It's a fluke. It's an absolute fluke. Yeah. Um, it was a single-handed practice. I'd never worked in a single-handed practice. I thought this happened. Um, spin that. So that that was the first one. Then I got my Jeff, my first ever associate, who I'm still really good friends with. Um, and he came and lived with me in the flat upstairs. Um, and we shared the surgery and turned the surgery from eight in the morning to late at night every night. I did eight 
delayed, so I didn't have to put another surgery in. And he did a late night, I did a late night, and then took, you know, you, you just massa. Then we put a second surgery in, and it spun out from there. But if you imagine the surgery itself was wood chip on the walls everywhere, um, carpet everywhere. Um, the patients were all sedated because there was no um, carbon monoxide flu on the gas fire in the oh, waiting excellent, room. Excellent. Not, not, not even a faulty one. There just isn't, wasn't one. <laughs> um, sedation. So, oh yeah, there wasn't central heating in the building. Um, when my all all the walls were bowing on the building, oh. so they all had to be broken down and repinned. The roof had to come off. You know, it's one of those you sat there. Thinking, yeah, forty grand, but it was a a job yeah, to get yeah. the job. It was a project. Um, Oh yeah, there was no level floors anywhere. Every ceiling sagged. Um, and but Mr. Hoy, who was the previous dentist, every single patient loved, mm. absolutely loved. You know, and it was he was communicating. Mm. He was a communicator. He he actually wrote me a letter saying thank you very much. I hear good things. Thank you very much for right, um, looking after my flock because he bought it from a second generation. You know, it was, oh. I, I bought one of a guy who it nearly broken oh. him. Um, and you had it for three or four years and then sold it on. And, you know, the stories where you think, actually, buying a practice might not be right mm. for you. You know, it was it was the done thing of my generation. Oh, Everyone did it. Was that NHS private or mixture? Oh, it was all, it was, it was back in the days where the NHS was the NHS. Uh, it was just, just that just, NHS, yeah. NHS, NHS. Um, and I was inheriting a, a list which was not my type of preventative dentistry. It was patching up dentistry. Right. Good, good, brilliant dentists, but just... A generation behind yeah, yeah. Um, and probably how the generation now looks at my work do you know it was a lot of stuff uh, <laughs> yeah, evolution yeah, yeah. things to do um, yeah, that would have been and it grew. service wouldn't it i yeah. suppose that that time yeah right and then it, what makes me laugh is when people hark back to items of service and it's like well do you moaned about that then mm. you know it's uh, there's no right service because it's work you've just got to make it work for yeah. you and look for the opportunities which is what i i suppose i excelled in really mm. and sort of really kind of enjoyed that um for me it's really important to then that practice grew i went from my first i suppose we'll start at the beginning we had one and a half full-time equivalents and we turned into the business into 150 staff all over so it was a it was a journey hmm. um but, but sort of grew. when did you step out on the second one then ben after how long have you been doing the first one well, my second, my journey was a touch different than most. My, one of my biggest things in dentistry is if you moan about something, put your hand up and change it. But, but I, d I don't do negativity because I think there's an opportunity there. If everybody else is moaning about something, there's an opportunity mm. for you there. Every situation, there is no difference whatsoever. So the out-of-hours contracts came up for Stockport, Tameside and Glossop, Trafford, Central Manchester, not Salford, which made me laugh. I didn't have a, I had a practice there, um, and no one went for them. Oh, no wow. one went for them, um, and that was the back in the day because there was no associates then. Mm. There literally wasn't any associates. There was it was a real struggle, um, and we set a system up where the out of hours patients from Greater Manchester came to Salford um, because no one else wanted the contract. Mm. So that jumped my service. So the practice then worked from eight o'clock in the morning till ten o'clock at night with emergency service, mm. and we we had six sites using commissioning um pct services and i can't remember what year that was that would be 2004 five that's my second practice and the, the practice then had grown to have four surgeries mm. in uh cross infection room blah 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 all that sort of journey 
So that was a, a different journey. So it, it does look very similar to the, the the world we're in now of the 10% flex commissioning. Mm-hmm. So, and I think there is going to be a massive, I know there's going to be a massive opportunity for dentists to say, actually, I want to manage my population budget rather than an NHS journey and say, well, actually, who do I want to treat with my NHS monies? And if you get that right, you can then grow your private tremendously as yeah, well. Yeah. So you can have your aesthetical world, which I think is a wonderful thing that's boomed for our profession. But you can have the NHS. Don't lose that NHS journey because you can be, it can be a big opportunity when no one else wants it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. So that's sort of the next stage. Um, then... Then I bought a practice in Bexley Square. It's the other end of Salford. It's, it's two minutes walk from city centre Manchester. And John Breeson's practice, I loved it. It was a practice that had been there for 100 years. It was next to the old courts. It had a real, the biggest mix in societal practice that I've ever, ever come across. Lower social economic up to top end high court mm. judges. And I love that. I love that treating everybody the same and not judging people and, and those patients feeling that they weren't mm. judged. And I'd go out and that's that's the bit that I enjoy in dentistry. It's almost like people are expecting you to be quite judgmental because you're a dentist. <laughs> and actually, you know, and you walk out and they're shocked when you walk out and get the patient yeah. and you sit down in the waiting room. I, the, my best moments in dentistry is sitting down in the waiting room chatting to my patients. Mm. Um, and they don't know what you're doing and you're sitting down chatting with them they think you're running behind you know but you're absolutely on target with your time management no i've got got 15 minutes here okay i can flex in the day mm. but not the way where you start at quarter past nine no you start at quarter to eight yeah. whenever else is you know it, it's so that was sort of we bought that practice um added a couple of surgeries in there but that practice then started to focus on asylum seekers so we used our NHS budgets to focus on asylum seekers, but increase the private area. So I could say to patients, no, no, I'm spending NHS monies in the correct area mm. because I'm allowed to. Mm. Our list is shut, except for we will focus here, but you can consider it private. But, but I think that's what we need to do as a profession, start actually, if the government isn't going to control, have the confidence, we swore again, um, the confidence to say, well, this then it's just isn't for everybody. Well, we can do that because we can actually use the system correctly and actually really work with our patients mm-hmm. um, to understand that, to understand the value. And that's what our trust, our growth, our opportunity is at the moment to do that sort of thing. And there is a massive growth out mm. there at the moment in the next generation. Mm. There are the, the, because of COVID and the opportunity to hit these um, groups of patients, for example, my homeless area or asylum seekers mm. or whoever you want there is a such a big opportunity where tremendous amount of diseases mm. we just need to tweak the way we work I think that's really clever and interesting that you're right you can present the nhs services in a way to draw in the right sort of patients mm. in the right yeah. social demographic with the right need yeah. because there are yeah. there are extraordinary numbers of people who could easily afford to purchase their dentistry privately but perhaps access yeah. NHS dentistry because it's it's available. But I think from the dentistry yeah, side of things, right. yeah, there, there, there may be ways to configure it in a way which means it's pointed in front of the, the most needy people. 
And that's where it should be targeted, yeah. Yeah. really, isn't it? It should be targeted at people well, that who can't afford it. But <clears throat> you look at those people who, you know, I can remember during the COVID times, you know, there was people, you know, some guy died, didn't he, or something, because he got a brain abscess or something from a bad tooth or something, you know. Yeah. Th- those are real cases oh, yeah. <laughs> where where the, the oral health of the nation can be truly affected by a lack yeah. of dentistry. I, I, and it really does and it really does and when you meet these people when you work with these people you realize there was there was one kid who he had on no, sorry i'll go to the next stage i'll throw the electrical later on so then we um thought we can do this out of our stuff and we tended for the merseyside and cheshire out of ours area and that ended up we won that contract and we ended up one stage looking at 3.8 million people's toothaches at the weekend um under service, so we we had a, a telephony service um, who triaged the patients. And the interesting stuff with my sort of public dental health hat on was the heat mapping of all the telephone calls that came in. You know, so we would heat, we would heat map all the telephone calls onto Google Maps, and you could see the hotspots. Oh wow, and that's you, interesting. You, oh, it's phenomenally interesting. And you could see there was only two places in Merseyside that needed it, without question. All our urgent stuff came from these two locations and then we work with the commissioners and they reduced that noise in those areas. Oh, really? Don't get me wrong. There was still access problems. There was still, but the urgent, acute, look, we're getting 90 patients a day from these two areas. You need to deal with those. And the middle classes, there wasn't. Mm. But all the noise came from the middle classes because mm-hmm. they knew how to. I had one patient who came in and absolutely, I had to go out. I want to see the clinical director, blah, blah, blah. No, so you... you You've chipped your front tooth. It's a Saturday. You're not in pain. You're not in acute pain. But last time I came, the last two times I had had it done, I came here on a Saturday and they fixed it for me. Mm. So you've had this for the third time. You any idea how many children you stopped from who got toothache? Yeah. You know, so it's it's belief in that budget, mm. what it's for, mm. and understanding it. And I think there's some such positivity in the areas that we have at the moment in society that we can use this covid economic journey to actually mold our nhs and how we think it should be used for yeah. and actually yeah. the patients will believe it rather than like you said chris it's the i i paid my stamp i'm yeah, I, yeah. I, this is what i'm entitled to yeah, yeah. Like, well no actually society is entitled to get the best value for money for the right area for dental yeah, it should yeah, be yeah. look wider than yourself yeah and actually the biggest challenge we've got is using the skills that i've learned from you guys from the industry marketing and how to hit these probably eight percent of the population who don't want to go to the dentist who use a and e as their practice we had one lady who she came to our service 46 times in a year 46 times 46 times in a year but she had mental health issues and we needed that cog to turn back in and so on monday and we worked with them so but we became almost a a different issue and we don't these are the patients that fall through the Mm the the net chris and they're the ones that get the brain abscess because they can't access they don't know how to mm, access yeah, yeah. they need a prioritization and so it's we have all the cogs mm. there in the NHS. we have they're there we just need to take eight steps back mm. and believe the, the problem with society at the moment is we all are looking for that thing that's going to give us control and that change mm. the finances the the school fees, the, the kids going to school. I want to change school because they're not teaching little Johnny to do whatever. Well, actually, they're doing a really good job. We just need to let everything settle and slow down mm. a little bit. Um, 
NHS dentistry and dentistry is exactly the same. We just need the challenge. Yes, we've always had challenges in dentistry. Mm. Um, but I think we can learn. So that was our opportunity thing. So, so mm. we, we built those areas. That was in 12 different locations working with different um, commissioning bodies, wow. which was a challenge. Mm, yeah. Um, and then we set up, we, at the same time, we set a homeless service up in Ancoats. Um, yeah, something to do, isn't it? Wow, well, flip. So you There's a real up... social, social dynamic to all of that, isn't Oh, it? yeah. It's interesting. So you ended up with a, a group of 12 practices and the, the homeless venture. Yeah, we had 11 different dental contracts. Right, yeah. Um, but there was four traditional practice, yeah. practices. And then there was the out of hours, the in hours contract. We had in hours. Oh yeah, we had an in hours service over in Stockport that we ran as well. Mm. Um, yeah. And then, so. I mean, you, at this point, you're still a young guy, and then you you sold out your group. So, and, and when did you yeah. when did you sell? That was. Well, I was. This is where people start hating me now. <laughs> I was twenty. I was at <laughs> yeah, twenty. I've done right out the door. No, I oh I talked to Manchester University as well during that period lecturing and I had a dipsy and restorative as well um where we had a referral center for um complex patients and things which I, I sat next to one of my heroes who's Nick Gray who's a professor at Manchester who we were lucky enough and I've, I've, I've got a BDS I haven't got any fancy letters after my name but I had to, was able to do all the really complex dentistry with a professor sat in the seat next to me um, and that was NHS. Mm. There was no messing up. That was NHS referrals. There was nothing fancy, and it worked. Um, that's like so. I was in a ADG meeting, which is the union for the corporates. For listeners who don't know that, um, one of my passions is the industry and supporting industry and how it can affect a change within my profession. And I, I feel that. Often we dentists as a profession don't realise the massive support network that the BDIA does behind yeah. all the materials, the import, export, all that sort of stuff. Um, and I was in a meeting and they all came, all the different corporate chaps, the, they all, the, all the directors come to, well, if you're thinking of selling, just um, come to us before speaking to likes of Andy and Chris. And um, so my wife and I sat down and said, what is the number to get out? What's our number to get out? Not being greedy, not having wanting the Instagram lifestyle or all that sort of stuff. What was the number? And they gave us that they offered us 30% more. Um, so I'm not, it comes back to that child with the pennies mm -hmm. in the, on, on the ferry. I couldn't risk that. Yeah. And I think that's a big learning thing that I did. We did from that. We, we said, "Look, we've got an amazing lifestyle. The kids are set for life, unless they're watching this and the podcast, and they've got to work very hard. <laughs> they're not going to see a um, That we can't roll that dice. And that and that was six months before COVID hit. We sold. Wow. Well, six months before COVID hit, which so there was a lot of guilt from me during the COVID period because I would have been in the thick of it. I would have been running UDCs all across the northwest of England. It would have been, it would have been a journey. Mm. Um, and so, no, I, um, that's, What's that's nice in there, Ben, is um, we, we talk a lot about um, so many people not understanding what enough is. People just constantly mm. chasing <laughs> more and more yeah, and more. Yeah, true, true, true. And it's lovely yeah. to hear that you and your wife sat down and you actually did kind of the calculation and it, it probably wasn't just a, 
uh, a numeric financial calculation about what enough was and it meant mm. you'd done enough in terms of mm. what you'd grown it was enough in terms of the money and it was it was enough of your time and yourself which then going back to the very beginning about your throwaway comment about <laughs> stay at home day it, yeah. it created so much more beyond mm. the money that it gave you um and I guess it also frees you up because I, yeah, I know you. You love restoring old um, sports cars. You, you, you do distance running. You do beekeeping. You're still a media spokesman for the for the, the Oral Health Foundation. It's not that you're short of things to do. You're certainly keeping yourself yeah. busy. But you also mentioned about the the homeless work, the dentistry mm. people, and, and that's an ongoing project, isn't it? How, how's that coming along? Yeah, it's going really well. Um, I was on a conference with one of my sort of big passions is behavioral change for our profession to take a step back and say i've got an idea i want to treat the homeless we all don't want to there's, there's a it's almost fashionable um, mm. but i don't know where to start mm. but what i want to do is create almost like a framework that people go oh actually i can take this to the commissioners or i can speak to you and do this so there's they've just almost i know they've copied our sort of model Processional rate over in Leeds, and they've opened two practices up focusing on the hard to reach group. So that's a flex contract. Mm -hmm. um, and I was on a conference call yesterday with the um, Inclusive Network, which is all the public health people, and, and Natalie from um, Dentaid. And the, it's an amazing journey that we can change how we treat, and we the young generation has to change. We've got to look at what we can do to give back because I think there's a, such a lot, a big need for our profession to maybe have a whitewash. I think the opportunity we have is now. The BDA have done an amazing job in getting dentistry into the parliament to be discussed. It's never been discussed mm -hmm. as much as it has. So patients now are aware of the contractual issues. But I actually think we are now at this opportunity. We can actually affect the change and say, actually, the government's not going to do it, so we're just going to do it anyway. Mm. Well, it'll financially, yeah, we'll sort it. That, that money will follow. But we are a truly amazing profession, and we need to start talking about it and how we have changed things and how we have done that and how our. When I say the profession, I do mean the industry supporting as a whole that we can make such a difference into society. There was a. I was down at Peninsula helping one of the. Uh, the dental schools down there and all the, all the students do a a program that they, they do outreach um to a i they're meant to be hard to hard to reach services but i actually say they're hard to access they find it hard to access service mm -hmm. so they went to 10 different things there was there was um there was a working men's club where all the ex sailors wives had died so they were of that generation of our parents generation where the women ran the home and the men went out to work in the sea but their wives had died and they didn't know how to brush their teeth you know so they didn't know anything of those though so they were in a, a really bad way and the students went out and did a project on that mm. um and the one that really hit home was bernardo's have got a group of children who the children are the carers for their parents mm. right the seven eight nine-year-olds caring for their parents wow. and in plymouth there's there's 900 of these children Jeez. yeah so it's not just the odd one it's not all a little charity yeah, thing yeah. this is a, so when we're looking at po population um and no one looks after them 
so Bernardo's do, and it's such an amazing uh, the, the work was it brought tears mm. to your eyes. But that's the as a dentist, for me, I've always said we should be prioritizing prioritizing these patients. You know, we should be just uh, skip the queue, bring them in. Yeah, you know, so that that's that's sort of the exciting world I'm in. Yeah. Um, yeah. Great work. So yeah. Mm. You you you're not short of things to keep you busy and going on. But but what 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 makes you happiest? What's the thing of, of the things you have done or are doing that that, that really puts a smile on your face and, and brings contentment? Time with my children. Time, but actually me being present and that's a fight I have. Um because I used to be Ben Atkins, you know. Mm. Um and now my role is I've changed the way I used to get up at five o'clock and do my exercise then and all the still I still do occasionally I'll do my long runs and things early morning. But this morning I sat down with the kids and whilst they were having breakfast, I sat down and had a cup of coffee and chatted to my daughter. And we I sat in the back of the car whilst my wife was driving in the front. We have a competition to see Jodrell Bank. We're going to whoever sees it first wins. Um and I was chatting to my, my daughter in the back, pointing it out, you know, we're having a laugh. And we were pretending we were seeing rabbits, the guys in the front, you know, just, hmm. but having those moments, that's what makes me actually happy. And it's taken probably three and a half, four years since the business has gone to uh, give myself permission mm-hmm. to do that. Yeah. And I'll still, still struggle with that mental health side for me. Um, creation of value, but not somebody else's values and being me to be me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I struggle with that. The thing is you started very early in your career and you were running hard for 15 years so it's hard yeah. to suddenly then just switch that off and say yeah, actually, turn it off, i'm yeah. now just going to slow down and have this easier paced different prioritization in my life and suddenly that just work overnight i don't, I don't think that's who we are because to have yeah. the success you had over that short period of time uh, requires complete and utter commitment and you've got an amazing end result which i'm so pleased for you but that brings challenges and when you then move on to the next phase of your life you need to work out what that looks like and that sounds like kind yeah. of what you, you work uh, uh, um, it's it is um, uh, it's given myself permission not to do anything mm. you know and that's it's a bizarre world because I have been running um, it's almost my job was to have that ball and run and run and run and run and then think people to catch up mm. you know um, and my, my my management team did all that. They did all the work. Every practice had its manager. Every practice had a senior nurse. Every team had a, a spare member of staff in succession planning for when the, the nightmare things happen. And they do. That's the only thing I can guarantee. But I'm still trying to plan that in my own personal life. Mm, yeah. And it's, I realize that it, the key thing is personal. And I struggle with that. Mm. I really do be useful. Where does, oh, they're so interconnected, aren't they? That's oh, the, yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. Where does beekeeping fit into all this? Beekeeping is, but one of the only things in my life that I can't rush. Yeah, and that's why. But that's why I got into it when I. This, this was pre kids, fifteen years ago or so, um, and I remember going on. I've got the books, the typical bloke thing, bloke books, toys, spent money on it, and suddenly these bees arrived, and they arrived in the box, in the post. 3,000 bees, you know. In the post. Well, they come through the post. Yeah, exactly. So that's, that's the same look that most people get. A box, of, a box of bees. 
they were like you know, traditional beekeeping frames. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was fixed in a mini beehive in the in the post. And I ran upstairs oh, wow. to my to my bedroom. My wife was in bed. Look, look, they've arrived! I, I, you just I, heard I this. Do they came special bee livery? Oh, uh, uh, apologies to that. Uh, and on that, and on that note, we end the interview. <laughs> and, we, and they're right, and I like it because so you've got big numbers and sponsors. Do not open in yeah. your house. <laughs> no, it did. Yeah, it had it had a danger. Yeah, I'd imagine it must have something on it. <laughs> and the, the the postman just walked to the door, thinking it was the the whole package was it was buzzing. It was literally raw, <laughs> roaring. Can you imagine that? Oh, At least no one's going to nip yeah. that like they do some of no. your Amazon parcels, aren't they? <laughs> no, not really. That one left, that'll be there for a while. Yeah, that's right, yeah. yeah. but I, I just, I, I enjoy it. Yeah. I'll leave you two to chat about bee jokes. For a <laughs> We're going to think as many bee jokes as we can. Bring it back in, into the interview when you finish. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, and I assume, I assume you, you do harvest honey. Yeah, and, so do you get the honey? Yeah, we've got about half a ton this year. Half a ton? Um, what does that distill yeah. down to in terms of numbers of jars? Or bees? Oh, eight, nine hundred jars, something like that. Oh, How many bees do you need for half a ton of honey? We've got about 15 hives. Each one will have 40,000 bees in its correct level. So, oh, yeah. Are they at the end of your garden or are they like a special bit of land that's nowhere near your house? Well, one, one has a field, darling. They're at the bottom of the field. <laughs> Is that where your right, your special month. bees are in the field? Because you wouldn't want around your we house, do. would you? No. Oh, no, we do. I've got three or four hives dotted around the garden and stuff. Mm. Uh, so what you sell, that, you sell that through local shops in the area? Ah, that's that's the interesting part. Is my my children? We we bottle them up. Wait for a second. You sell it to local hay fever sufferers, isn't that supposed to be what? Is that, but it's fascinating, isn't it? That, that Half a ton of honey's quite a lot. <laughs> I, I was going to say, just a simple story of they turn up in the post, you have 15 hives, you get half a ton of honey, and you end up with hundreds of jars of honey. Oh, look at that. Oh, oh a, so that's a set one and a runny you, one. Yeah, that one is spring honey, that one is summer honey. Different honey from different times. But oh, the, the, kids, the kids label them up and they sell them up. At school, and when I say they sell them, a lot of mostly give get given away. And um, basically, we create money for a food bank near us, and mm, the kids brilliant. go and take the money. That is brilliant stuff. Um, so yeah, so it's it is quite amusing. When my daughter the other day, bless her, so we we've done this a few times. And do they help you with the bees? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they pour it all out. They label it up. They design the labels oh, and all that sort of stuff. Um, and my daughter's very entrepreneurial because she lent over and said, "Daddy, they." I don't want to give it all to charity. Can I, can I keep some of the money? <laughs> and I was just like, that, that, that's really, that's what I want. I want to instill that entrepreneurism in with them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they can do. So we've, I've, one of the local shops, um, the Swedish bakers in our Nero's cafe, and she said she'll stock it up and sell it there for them. So she's going to get the, going to get the kids to do the negotiation and that sort of wow. thing. That's nice. And if I get them, Running a very small little business to understand the PLs. Yeah, is great idea. I don't like I think so stuff like that. You know, you can read books, you can watch mm. YouTube clips, and people tell you on TikTok how to do it. It's nothing yeah. like doing it yourself. You yeah. know, on on a yeah. scale like that, where you understand what it costs you to produce it. You know, what someone's going to set it for, what the margin is, all, all those things yeah. in mm. real life are yeah. so valuable. So, so the exciting thing this afternoon is I get my new wax builder. Well, that's a wait for a second. 
Look at this. We, we, we need a whole nother episode. Yeah, yeah. The, the Beekeeping. Bee, the, yeah, the bee episode. With as many bee puns the... as we can think of. <laughs> that would be amazing. But also, just for, for the for the people that, that obviously are watching this on YouTube, it's great. But if you're not watching it on YouTube, Ben showed us two different jars of honey. Oh, yeah. And one was hard. when they were harvesting, one was a clear honey and one was a very dark... Um, mm, a set honey. A dark set honey, yeah. Sorry, Ben, you're so, back. Yeah, and, and this is um, one of the kids' candles. So they make candles. Oh, wow. Oh, oh that's, that's pretty uh, cool. That's our bee. Beautiful. That's our wax. So this afternoon I've got a new wax melter coming, so I'm very excited by that. Wow. So you can clearly see the honeycomb. So uh, I think as a mm. as a, a complete different side to what you're doing, but mm. also bringing your kids into it. Very, very smart indeed. Yeah. yeah. Ben, honestly, we could we smart. could talk all day. That's um, brilliant. I mean, yeah. it, I, <laughs> so I did we, it again. Last my last bee joke. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we 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 could we could. You're so happy as well, though, Chris. Your head's got. So oh, I see, I like, <laughs> That's the only problem is once you start on something like that, you're now thinking it's like when you when we do like we we used to do a course where we try to do ABBA songs. <laughs> Yeah. And and basically, when we were then doing them, it just turned into this sort of like most of the time we were just trying to think of our next ABBA song, and then occasionally someone with the audience would ruin it because they'd come up with the same song and it's like, oh, oh man, yeah, come yeah. on, we've been thinking so long. <laughs> ben, we always we always wrap up in the same way with our guests. We always ask the same two questions. So the first question we'd like to ask you is if you could be a fly on the wall with somebody in a certain situation, That's when, when would that be and, and who? That should be a bee on the wall. Yeah. Yeah, not a fly on the wall with a bee. It's one of those you're meant to find out someone who's interesting and that sort of stuff. But there was a guy called Mr. Letch at Sheffield University who was a... He was an inspiration to us all. He never had anything negative to say. You know, he was always positive, and I took a lot from that. So I'd love to see him talking to me mm-hmm. as an undergrad. You know, that little... Because he, he did, was harsh a couple of times, but so, he had this amazing ability to watch to watch people and feel that journey wow. that was an art we talked about earlier on. Like, I took a lot of, and I'm wondering if... I would love to see him again mm. as that. Journey. That would be a bit like you're an Arsenal fan. Have you seen that time when Ian Wright meets his school teacher? Yeah, I saw that. That's, that's yeah. amazing, isn't it? That yeah. sort of thing. Oh, wow, you believed in me. You thought, and out of that came Ian Wright. But those lollipop moments, those small moments that we just kind of move on from, we don't necessarily know yeah. the impact they had. Yeah. But obviously that, that lecturer had a, had a massive impact because you remember yeah. him to this day and he's somebody you'd like to go roll back all those years and, and see again, which is, yeah, which is lovely. And if you could meet somebody, if you were given the opportunity to sit down with a a glass of wine or a coffee and meet somebody. Who would you like to meet? Isn't that funny, those things? is I do get to meet people. Yeah. Did you, do you know what I mean? You, you don't like name dropping and stuff, but you sort of meet someone, you go, oh, really? Mm. You know, that, that is that sort of thing. The person I, the, the, the rich dad, poor dad guy, I'd really like to sit down and have a proper conversation with him, Richard Komiyashi yeah. or whatever is. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, because I, he's, he's, book that rich dad poor dad book has actually affected my financial life the good debt and bad debt and understanding how investments work and stuff so yeah i'd love to have a conversation about him because he has he has influenced me mm. and maybe free really i suppose yeah. mm. brilliant 
Ben, you've been a superstar. You're, you're so laid back and nonchalant about the success you've had. Um, I think it's a terrific story. I think people will take stacks from it. Mm. Um, and you're really honest about you know it not always being easy. And you're still so early on in, in life. I think there's going to be a shed load more stuff coming from you um, in dentists mm. and outside of dentistry. Uh, so, yeah, that's no, been wonderful. We appreciate your time. Yeah, definitely. Thank you very much. Thanks. See you and speak to you soon. I'll see you soon. Cheers, Ben. Thank you, man. Cheers, Ben. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dentology, where we discuss the business of dentistry. If you like what you heard, please do subscribe where you found this episode. That would be amazing. And also follow us on Instagram.